Welcome everyone to our first October edition of the Sports Cafe. With me tonight, we've got Adam from the Big Apple. How's it going over there? It's going well. Uh, watching some playoff baseball right now. Fortunately, my team is not involved, but uh, pretty much used to that by now. Yeah, I feel like I'm in the same boat. And then we've got Ian, who's, uh, whose Yankees uh, just suffered a rough defeat, hence the, uh, the intro song. But... Uh, not not all bad in uh, North Jersey, right? No, but I, all three of our teams are uh, out playing golf these days, I guess. So we have a lot to talk about uh, with baseball and football this week. Yeah, and the only team that's that's still in it is Mike's White Sox, and he unfortunately is uh, unable to attend tonight. But that's okay. We've uh, we'll see him next week, and we still have plenty of baseball and football to talk about. But first, we'll. Uh, We'll start with baseball and the uh, the AL wildcard game, which uh, was last night's highlight. Um, I'll let Ian talk first. I know it didn't quite go your way, but felt like it was still a pretty exciting game on the whole. I mean, maybe for you. For me, it was a complete disappointment, pretty embarrassing effort where, you know, the Yankees were favored. They had their best pitcher, their $300-plus million man on the line, and was uh, embarrassed. He lasted, what, two innings? And... Evaldi shut down the Yankees, and uh, the Yankees limped into the playoffs, needing, if they won two or three against the Rays this past week, and they would have hosted the game, they squeaked out that victory on Sunday to make it to the, the wild card game, and um, I think most people thought the Yankees would win. I was hoping that, but, um, you know, their offense was really boomer bust all year. We've seen this story before in the playoffs from the Yankees where they can't hit. It's a little bit different in this case since it was one game. But, um, you know, this was now five years in a row of, I think, AL. You know, they, the team has not been, everyone thought in 2017 against the Astros, Game 7, they were about to kind of go on another run. And it's been kind of downhill since then. A lot of their players have regressed. Um, you know, getting rid of Girardi, bringing Boone, I don't think has improved the team in any way, more likely hurt the team. And um, the bullpen ended up being great. I think that was a lot of Cashman's strength this year and the last few years. But the offense um, just has not worked out. They're very much, you know, they have their sluggers, which are fine, but they have very little uh, speed. Um, you know, and you know, we don't have to do a whole deep dive. We'll probably talk about all our teams in the off season, but I thought it was a pretty overall, a disappointing year. Um, glad, I guess that they made it to the playoffs, but it, it ended up resulting in what, uh, three hours of extra <laughs> game time beyond our two, you know, but beyond your guys team. So, uh, not at all surprising necessarily, but definitely a, a disappointing effort and would definitely appreciate some some pretty big changes this offseason, both with you know management and the roster. And Adam, I know you and I were both on the outside looking in, but I suppose you had somewhat of a stake in this, given uh, you have a lot of family in Boston and uh, the Yankees being somewhat the crosstown rivals. Um, were you surprised by uh, by any of this? Uh, I I was not surprised. I think in in many ways it was kind of a fitting way for the Yankee season to end. I mean, they did win 91 games this year. 91, 92? 92. 92 games this year. But, uh, you know, you could kind of tell that they weren't the same threat that they have been in the past. But, you know, it's kind of funny for me as a, um, you know, as a Mets fan who roots hard against the Yankees in October, 
Uh, I saw a funny tweet about this where basically if you're a Met fan in October, uh, you've gone home happy 20 of the last 21 years because the Yankees always come up short. So, um, you know, I can't say I was uh, unhappy with the result. But, um, you know, look, I, I think that if you're a Yankee fan, you have every right to be frustrated. The team hasn't progressed. But, I mean, at the end of the day, they won 92 games this year. But the roster is probably not well-constructed for October. I think it could be better, but I mean, the bottom line is you're in a one-game playoff and you've got the highest-paid pitcher in the sport. He's got to come up big for you in that spot, and I think that is where I would be really disappointed is, I mean, this is, in my opinion, all on Garrett Cole. Um, You know, he took them out of the game early um, and they just never recovered from it. So I think there's a lot of issues. I don't have as much of an issue with Aaron Boone as a lot of Yankee fans do I think the manager gets way too much criticism Uh, I actually think he did the right thing in taking Garrett Cole out when he did because he clearly didn't have his A game and they brought in Clay Holmes who was able to get out of the jam so I think he gets a lot more criticism than he deserves given that you know let's be real most of the decisions are coming from upstairs and if the Yankees are going to replace him I would imagine they will replace him with a Aaron Boone type guy, a young guy, probably with no managerial experience, someone that the front office can manipulate. So it's one of those things where be careful what you wish for. Um, you really don't know who the next guy is going to be. So um, that's kind of my thoughts. It was an entertaining game to me. I thought, you know, the crowd at Fenu was great. Um, and uh, Red Sox moving on, although to be honest, I don't think either team uh, had a chance against Tampa. Yeah, and, and, and we'll get to that. I, I also concur that I think the Rays would have destroyed either one of them. But, um, it, you know, you make a good point with uh, Garrett Cole clearly not getting the job done. He was the ace um, that they paid as, as much as humanly possible, and uh, they needed more from him. But the one thing I, I, I would say is that the Yankees' third base coach should get fired immediately. Um, because I, I felt like there was one point in the, uh, the top of the fifth after uh, Rizzo had homered and... I want to say Judge was he was on base and and then he had John Carlos Stanton's pretty big hit and God knows why he waved Judge home and he was out by a mile. Um, Do you know the Yankee? This is not a one-time thing. The Yankees, I think, and the Royals are tied for 22 outs most in baseball at home plate this year, which is just insane to think about. Well, there you go. I mean that that should seal the deal right there against the uh, the third base coach. I I felt like they were still in it. If uh, you know, if, if he had held Judge at third, he would have had two men on with one out. And at that point, the uh, the Yankees were only down two runs. I I feel like there was at least a chance there. And you know, maybe maybe I'm wrong about this, but I feel like that's really that was the kicker that really took him out of the game. Well, yeah, I mean that the game basically ended after that. I mean, the the issue though is next in the order is Joey Gallo who's right. batting. 160 as a Yankee. I mean, look at the Yankees lineup last night. They literally had had three good players, the top three. I mean, the rest of the lineup is are either backups, underperformers, etc. The team was not, you know, built from an offensive perspective to, to go deep into October this year. And I think it, even the past couple, two or three years, it's kind of proceeded in that direction, which is it's frustrating because it seemed like they were really close to to getting, you know, to kind of getting over that hump, getting back to the World Series for the first time since 2009, and it just hasn't happened. And Boone's comments last night saying other teams have caught up to them, I don't know what he's talking about. I mean, the Yankees have been passed by so many teams over the last five or ten years. 
you know, there's 11, I, mean, I think 11 different teams have made it to the World Series since the Yankees. Yes, but let's also remember, you know, getting to the World Series is kind of a crapshoot. I mean, it's baseball is really the one sport where uh, the best team does not always win. So I, I don't always think it's fair to evaluate, you know, how good a manager is based on whether or not they win the World Series. I think the fact that they win 90 plus games every year, the fact that they never miss the playoffs. I think that says a lot about, you know, whoever's calling the shots. They clearly they either got a good enough roster or the manager is is doing well there. Uh, just going back to the play third base, though, for a second. Uh, first of all, I do not believe that people should be fired on the spot because of, you know, a mistake they made. That if you want to say if you want to say he's a bad third base coach and, you know, they shouldn't bring him back, that's fine. But I don't think that anyone should be fired based off of, you know, one thing like that. But, uh, you know, I also um I think I, I read a stat somewhere, and I'm not sure if this is in the back of Phil Nevin's mind when he's making the decision, okay, am I going to send Judge here? But I think I read somewhere that Joey Gallo, I don't know if this is possible, he's got like two sacrifice flies in his career. Is that right? Am I? Did I just make that up? I didn't hear that, but I I mean, I believe it. He's strikeout or home You've run. You've got a strikeout machine who who does not, you know, who does not hit sacrifice flies. I call him, you know, home runner bust, but I mean, with his low batting average, it's pretty much bust all the time. So, look, you know, some teams are overly aggressive on the base paths, and sometimes it works out, sometimes it doesn't. But I think the way that the Yankees have been struggling to score runs lately, um, you know, it was probably a, a calculated risk that backfired. But, you know, at the end of the day, I don't think that that cost them the game. I think the fact that Cole put them in a hole early, um, and the fact that, look, I mean, the Yankees scored two runs, and most of the time that's not going to be enough to win games. So uh, there's a lot of, uh, you know, finger-pointing you can do, but at the end of the day it was kind of a collective effort, in my opinion. Yeah, and if Stanton's first inning home, uh, almost home run was a few feet higher, that would have been a different, you know, tone setter. But I think we all agree this roster – or this team was going to probably, you know, lose in three or four to the Rays the way the Yankees lost to the Rays last year. So yeah. you can make the argument that the Yankees are the fourth best team in their own division, with Toronto, yeah, they, you know, I, a game behind this year. And I, I have always been a huge Cashman supporter. I do not understand the criticism. I will say, and maybe this is just an off year. I will say for the first time that I can remember, um, I do have some concerns about the way the Yankees are constructed long-term, just because, I mean, they had this core. I mean, they, they went to those two ALCS um, games. They came up short to the Astros in both. But you felt like they had a really strong core. And after this season, so many guys in that core, you just wonder whether or not they're any good anymore. I mean, you look at Gary Sanchez, for example, who didn't even start the game. Uh, you look at Glaber Torres, who completely you know lost all his power and doesn't hit for he doesn't get on base he doesn't hit for average um and then you look at the pipeline like what prospects do they have on the horizon severino has been out the last couple years because of injury fine but you know clint frazier was being highly touted he's pretty much out of the picture now i I don't know what duhar is another one who thought he was going to be a. and if you remember i mean the yankees have been hoarding a lot of these prospects um you know asking for the moon and and ultimately holding on to them but none of them have really seemed to latch on so you kind of wonder well 
how much flexibility are the Yankees going to have next year if they don't have a lot of prospects uh, and they don't want to blow past the the um, luxury tax? You just kind of wonder how much different the roster is going to look. And they're, they're yeah, a team that's good. No, I was just going to say, don't forget, they gave up a decent amount of prospects for Gallo and Rizzo, which I think, you know, I was generally in favor of doing, but that didn't work out. Um, and, I mean, the luxury tax is another conversation. We don't even know. I mean, there's, I think, probably a decent chance of a lockout on December 1st. And, you know, there's going to be a new CBA, so we'll see what the luxury tax looks like. But I think, to Adam's point, is these players, there was kind of this core developed about five years ago, and they've all kind of been stagnant or gotten worse. So, and, you know, free agency is approaching. Judge has one more year left. So this would be the time to kind of blow things up. And if you want to give Cashman one more shot, you know, that's fine. But But, you can't go back with the same roster again in 2022. Right. But by the way, to say that the trades didn't work out, I'm not sure that I agree with that. I mean, Gallo is well, in a, a bust, but but you could argue that that the Yankees don't get in the playoffs without Rizzo. I mean, I know when they first got him, he probably won them a couple games there. And, yeah, and you that's saw true. The Yankees only won I should by one say game, they didn't so. work out. I mean, they, they didn't, didn't win a championship. In the sense yes. of they were yes. eliminated in the first game of the playoffs. Right. But yes, it wasn't a total bust. Well, and the Yankees, they're not exactly a team that's used to rebuilding, but. Um, you know, it's possible that they'll have to go retooling. in that direction. Retooling well, is what they call it. Well, there's also one other point. Fair enough, retooling. <laughs> and I've heard this, and Michael Kay was talking about it and his co-host today of, you know, Hal Steinbrenner is different than George. He does not have that, you know, just insatiable feeling of needing to win the World Series every year. Maybe for him, 90-plus wins, a playoff appearance, a relatively full stadium, that's good enough. And you know it's it's he's never going to admit it but i don't know the track record is is starting to feel that way i mean look at the dodgers they don't care about the luxury tax they blow through it they do what's needed to to win a even a back-to-back championship and i understand adam's point that it's a crapshoot and you know who knows by the time anyone listens to the podcast they might be out of the playoffs too so (laughs) but i think there's just a kind of way the organization's been run the last few years that it just feels very different than you know the previous uh regime and, you know, just going back to the Dodgers real quick, and then I guess we can move on. I mean, the Dodgers have blown past everybody as far as payroll is concerned, and they've only got one World Series to show for it. And, you know, I guess you could make the argument that, um, you know, last year wasn't a real season and it was a weird playoff. And so, you know, they haven't really won a World Series in a full season yet. Now, granted, they've always been one of the best teams win, win-loss-wise, but it really is a crapshoot as far as winning the World Series. It is not like the NBA where the best team wins every year or, or the Super Bowl where generally you get, you know, if you've got a Brady or Manning or a top, top quarterback, you're winning the Super Bowl. And I think that's part of why we still have a, a lack of salary cap in baseball, but I know that's another discussion for another day. Um, having said that, we will move on to uh, the future of this year's playoffs. Uh, Mike Weil, he sent in his picks, um, so I'll read them real quickly before we... Uh, we talk about it ourselves. Um, Mike Let's pretty- take a wild guess on who his World Series champion is. I'm yeah. sure it's the Houston Astros, right? Yeah, I think so. I, I heard that too. <laughs> so unsurprisingly, Mike is saying that his home team is going to take it all, that they're going to beat the Rays in the uh, ALCS after stomping on the Astros, and then he's, he's given the Brewers to beat the Giants in the NLCS and, and the White Sox to beat the Brewers to win it all. Um, so he's predicting a... Uh, Central Series, um, 
I forget if that has a name to it, the, the Milwaukee-Chicago series, but um, Adam, I'll allow you to give your... The, it's called the Low TV Rating Series. <laughs> yeah, well, that, that, that's probably a decent name for it. <laughs> um, so uh, we'll, we'll have to tell Mike to... Uh, fast forward the podcast to the section where we give exclusive White Sox talk here. So here's my thought on the White Sox. So I will say most of the season, uh, I felt like the White Sox were the best team in baseball. Um, I think, to be honest, I kind of looked up at the standings and I I didn't even realize that the White Sox are um, opening up their their series on the road in Houston. Um, so the White Sox, look, they're they're very talented. They've got a stacked offense. They've got a really good starting pitching and they've got a great back end of the bullpen. So, um, you know, not, not a lot of weaknesses there. I think my concern is, uh, the level of competition, uh, the central is very, very weak division. And the fact that, you know, they have the third best record, they won't have the home field. So that's a little bit of a concern to me, but number two is honestly just the way that Tampa Bay has played. I mean, they are, it's pretty, unbelievable they just seem to manufacture talent you know guys you've never heard of they just step up you know every time you think oh i can't believe they traded blake snell or how are they going to recover from losing tyler glass now or they let this guy go and they just always seem to find the right guy and i think this year they won 100 games i I think this may be that they're the best record they've ever had um but they are just loaded and they they beat up on all the really good teams in the american league um they've got a uh, guys hitting for a lot more power this year. They've got a bunch of guys at 30 home runs. So I do think the White Sox will advance to the ALCS, but I think it's more just how impressive Tampa Bay has looked in the second half of the season where I just have a hard time picking against them. And, and Ian, I'll go to you. Are we focusing on the, the AL to start, I guess? Um, yeah, let's talk AL. Yeah, like so I agree with a lot of what Adam said about the White Sox. I I don't know. On paper, they, they kind of should be better than they are, but I feel like they haven't played a big game in, in pretty much all year. The Field of Dreams game was kind of their, their biggest game, um, which I guess they performed well in, but I don't know. For me, it's I I hate to say it, but I think the Astros are going to beat them. Uh, they're, they're, you know, their playoff experience, they're tested – the team just won't kind of fade away as we all uh, would hope they would have done by now. So I am going to take the Astros to beat the White Sox. And then uh, on the other side, I agree that the Rays are, you know, they're they're just unbelievable, especially the pitching and just guy after guy with crazy RAs. They're unconventional. They have guys who, you know, I, I was at the game against the, the Yankee Ray game on Friday and just – Every inning, there's a new guy out of the bullpen, um, you know, that that just mows down the other team. So, um, I just think they're they're just so well run and have the right players on that roster where they're going to advance to the World Series. So, um, that's what I'll go with for my ALCS. And I think we can all agree that the Rays are better than they were last year, and they took the Dodgers seven games last year in the World Series. So. Um, I don't think the Dodgers will get back, although I know we'll talk about that later. So, um, yeah, the Rays are definitely my favorite in the American League. Yeah, and, and the points you guys made on the White Sox, I, I, I know I'd, I, I'd said similar things a couple of times um, you know, about A, their, their level of competition in the AL Central, and B, um, the, their performance during the regular season against the current playoff teams. Um, it was pretty mixed, and I, I think they're going to have a tough time against the Astros. Um, Astros, as much as they, they, they cheated, they're still pretty stacked with talent. Um, 
and, and you know they had a pretty tough competition against both the Mariners and the A's this season. Um, I will go on a limb and say that the White Sox are still going to pull it out against them. Um, I think it'll absolutely go to five games, and then and think think the White Sox are going to take it home. Um, the Rays are going to absolutely stomp on the Red Sox. They would have stomped on whichever wild card team made it out. That's what they've been doing all throughout the regular season. So why wouldn't they do it in the playoffs? Um, and whether I'm wrong or right about the White Sox, um, I don't think either them or the Astros really stands a chance against the Rays. I, I think the Rays are um, almost prohibitive favorites to to make it to the World Series. Um, they, they will clearly be the AL champion. So uh, we'll talk about the World Series itself soon, but let's... Uh, yeah. And sorry, Mike, just one, one other quick point. I think Dusty Baker deserves a lot of credit. I think this is the fifth team he's taken to the postseason. And, you know, his teams haven't fared well in the playoffs. But, I mean, maybe he's like this year's version of Andy Reid, a guy who's always done well in the regular season but could never get over the hump. Um, and and I think he's done a great job with this Astros team. I mean, I think they were under five hundred last year. Uh, they lose George Springer. Um, they don't have the star pitchers that they did a few years ago in Verlander, Cole, uh, and, and Grinky. Um, or I'm sorry, they do, they, Grinky is still on the roster, but they, they don't have Cole and Verlander. Um, and you know, they, they, um, you know, they won a really tough division. So, um, so that's, that's really impressive. Yeah, for sure. And it took Andy Reid 20 years, but eventually he did win. So yeah, same will eventually happen maybe to Dusty Baker. And let's, uh, Let's move to the National League. Um, Ian, I'll let you give your thoughts here. I feel like the NL is, for me, harder to predict. We obviously have this wild card game going on right now, which uh, is looking to be pretty close, and we'll come down to the wire. And um, this team's going to play the Giants. I think everyone, uh, Adam kind of alluded to it, but Major League Baseball <laughs> heavily rooting for Dodgers-Giants. Um, but... Uh, I don't know how we're how exactly we're predicting this, but I, I kind of feel whoever wins this game is going to beat the Giants, and that's kind of like my NCAA play-in, you know, winner <laughs> situation. So if I need, uh, I I thought the the Cardinals might upset the the Dodgers. I know the Dodgers were the heavy favorite, so I guess we can say I'm sticking with uh, the Cardinals um, to to win this game and to beat the Giants. I guess that's a going out on the limb a little bit, but, um, you know, they came in super hot going into the playoffs. I think, you know, Wainwright, even tonight, he's just, even though he's 40 years old, he's still pretty impressive. So, uh, the Dodgers have all the talent, Scherzer, Turner, Betts, et cetera. But, um, I think the back-to-back element is, is going to be very tough on them. We were talking before the show too, that they were actually still the, the odds on favorite, uh, from the sports books to win even before the game, which is pretty unbelievable given that they had a, you know, extra round to win. But, um, I guess that's, that's my take on the first series. And then Brewers Atlanta can't say I'm too excited about that one, but I feel like Atlanta, uh, is a team that really underperformed most of the year and, you know, ended up winning the division by how many games, Mike, a, a few games, mostly due to the Phillies. About six. Thanks uh, to tanking. <laughs> poor, poor play towards the end. But, yeah. And how about uh, the Mets? <laughs> well, and the Mets too. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't see the, 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 I should say, I, I don't see the Braves putting up too much of a fight. And I think the Brewers have been the better team all year long. So I, I think they'll win in three or four games. And Adam, I know you uh, 
you initially had given pretty similar picks to what Ian had had, but uh, what, what are your thoughts given how this is all shaping out? Yeah, um, well, I do think the Dodgers will come back and win this wild card game. Um, you know, I, I think a lot of people are skeptical about the Giants, as am I. I mean, you look at their roster, and it's very underwhelming, but, I mean, the Giants won 107 games, guys. I mean, that is nothing to sneeze at, and they needed every last one of those wins as – the Dodgers were right on their tail at 106, and the Giants beat a lot of good teams down the stretch to get to 107. They had uh, their best month of the season in September as far as wins and losses are concerned. So um, I actually think the Giants will beat uh, whoever comes out of this wild card game. Uh, and I do have the Brewers on the other side of the bracket. Um, you know, the Braves, Mike, you and I got a good look at them this season, and they have massively underperformed they've got talent but i you know they're not as good as they were last year especially well, without acuna. Yeah. right especially without acuna um so my pick out of the national league is going to be the brewers i love their two workhorses um at the top of the rotation in, in corbin burns and brandon woodruff and they've got a really good bullpen uh you do have a little bit of concerns about whether they can score enough runs um you know yelich has not been the same player that he was of two, three, four years ago. Um, but I do think they've got enough offense to, you know, score runs and support that pitching staff, which is really good. Uh, I will say I was a little off put by the Devin Williams injury, who um, punched his hand, I guess, after the team celebration, and he's likely going to miss the entire playoffs. So that's a big piece out of the bullpen. But I, I still think they have enough arms you know, with Hater and some of the other guys there to withstand it. So um, I'm taking a chance on the Brewers. The uh, the David Stern's uh, magic will continue. He'll get them into the World Series versus, uh, versus Tampa, two small market teams. Yeah, and I feel like uh, I, I agree with most of that. Um, for one, the, the Brewers are clearly going to crush the Braves in the um, – and they're part of the NLDS. Um, the Braves, yeah, they were good for the NL East. That's not saying all that much, <laughs> given the epic collapses of, of the Phillies and the Mets. Um, not, not that I don't give the Braves credit for finishing pretty strong, but at the end of the day, they're not ready for this postseason, not, not, not for the other teams that are in it. So I think the Brewers will probably sweep them. Maybe it'll get to four games, but they'll probably sweep them. Um, and Adam, like you, I, I do think that the Giants will beat Whichever wild card wins tonight, um, not to discount either of them. Um, the, the Cardinals were basically a runaway train for the, the final you know, 25 or so games of the season up until the very end when they faced the Brewers. Um, the Dodgers um, fought the Giants until the very last game of the season to fight for the NL West title. Uh, they still have the second to best record in the entire MLB, but the stars are all aligning for the Giants this season. I mean, you had guys who seemingly came out of nowhere to have stellar seasons. Um, I, I think from the batting standpoint, both Brandon Crawford and Brandon Belt, um, I don't think either of the, them, anybody saw either of them having the kind of seasons that they're having, um, leading the team on offense, and their pitching has been flat-out stellar, um, particularly their starting pitching. So at the end of the day, I, I don't see – either wild card team beating them, and I also don't see the Brewers beating them either. Um, I mean, the Brewers, they've had an amazing season. I think they did better than almost anybody expected, but the Giants topped even that. Um, and and you know, I think the Giants, they had to contend with the Dodgers the entire time, whereas the Brewers, 
I mean, their competition was tough, but a little bit less. The Cardinals, they they came on strong in the end, but for most of the season, um, the Brewers had somewhat coasted in the uh, in the NL Central. So I, I think it'll be Giants Brewers, but that the, the, the Giants will represent the NL in the World Series. And by the way, just one random comment on the Brewers. Kind of, I mean, I feel like the season flew by, but if you guys remember in the off season, uh, Jackie Bradley Jr. was one of the big outfield free agents and if you remember i think scott boris was asking for like 60 million dollars and of course he got nothing close to that but uh you look at the season jackie bradley's had so he played 134 games only 387 at bats but he hit 163 with a 236 on base percentage and a negative war for the season i mean can you imagine if some team actually caved i feel like boris should have to give money back for, for a performance like that. Um, and it just goes to show, I mean, you know, sometimes you um, you kind of get carried away in the offseason and, and um, you know, oh, he's a great glove, like he'll, he'll hit just fine. But, I mean, to get a performance like that, um, fortunately for them, they didn't, uh, you know, completely open up the, uh, the checkbook for him. But that's just crazy given what he was asking for in the offseason. Yeah, absolutely. And speaking of which, the World Series itself, um, Adam, I want to say you had Brewers versus Rays. Who do you think yes. takes it? Yeah, I'm going with the Rays. Um, again, they're they're better than they were last year. They were a game within winning the World Series. Um, I, I think this, this may be the year they get it done, but I think uh, Tampa, Milwaukee obviously would not be uh, a um, – would be a bit of a snooze fest from a rating standpoint, but – it's two small market teams with very, very good uh, management as far as player development is concerned. And so it might be an opportunity for the world to see some of these uh, lesser known star players uh, who, who don't have the same star power but are really quality players. And Ian, you also have Brewers Rays. Who are you taking? Yeah, I'm a little concerned because I think a few of us have the same pick, but I also like the Rays. Uh, you know, they got so close last year; they can they can taste it. Their their team has improved, as we've talked about. Um, you know, a guy like Brandon Lau <laughs> somehow hit 39 home runs this year. I was like making sure that was accurate, um, but uh, you know, they kind of find these guys out of nowhere, and and obviously, um, you know, Rosarena is is kind of one of their up and coming talent, and um, you know, just looking kind of, they just have a very balanced roster that I think a lot of teams don't have. And then obviously they have the, the starting pitching and the relief and, and kind of that mix and match that just always seems to work out really well for them. So, um, and I should mention, of course, Wander, uh, Franco, kind of the young stud at shortstop. So I, I think the Rays are, are the favorite. I'm a little surprised that they're not, um, you know, they're not Vegas doesn't have them that way. I think the Astros are the favorite in the AL, but uh, I see the Rays going over the Brewers and, uh, you know, bring another title back to Tampa Bay, which is title town USA. Yeah, it looks like we won't have too much debate on this show. Uh, the only one who would have challenged us uh, was unable to make it. So I, I picked Rays Giants, and I also think that the Rays are going to take it. Um, I look at all the teams who are in there. Nobody has been tested more than the Rays. This season, with with the division that they're in, I mean, they, they're basically in a division of four playoff caliber teams, and they've still found a way to dominate. Um, they came cl- close last year when few people expected them to get that far. 
Um, and I think this year they take it. It'll be the first in franchise history. Um, after having lost to the, uh, the Dodgers last season, my Phillies back in 08, um, I think third time's a charm for them. So we'll move on to our other ongoing sport, which is football. Um, and we'll start off with possibly the biggest homecoming in NFL history last Sunday night when Tom Brady, who had played, um, I think, 20 seasons or so in New England, won him six Super Bowl titles. Uh, he came in as a Buccaneer for his grand return um, to Gillette Stadium. And I think it was overall a much more exciting game than we expected. Um Ian, what do you think? Did it live up to the hype? I I mean, I don't know if it lived up to the hype. Maybe that's because the hype was so big. And, um, you know, the, the elements that didn't live up to the hype for me were kind of the pregame. I don't think they did a, a kind of a tribute video pregame. At least I did not see it. Um, so that part was a little surprising. And then the way he passed the all-time passing record mark by Drew Brees it was kind of anticlimactic because they talked about they had to move the ball a foot and they weren't sure if he got it. And then the fact that they didn't, they, they made an announcement, but they didn't do anything beyond that was a little surprising. Although I guess both sides agreed on that pregame, which was kind of interesting. And I, what was the first half score? It was like seven to six. It was very low scoring. It was in the rain, but then the game got exciting and it was, it turned out to be a, a very close game with that, that doink of a field goal uh, I'm not sure why they went for a field goal, 56 yards in the rain, but it did make for some entertaining drama towards the end. And then, you know, uh, Brady post game hugging everyone with that quick little bit of a cold hug, I would say, with Belichick, but embracing a lot of the other staff and, and former players of his. So it, it was an exciting game overall, but I don't know that it was necessarily one that that was, uh, you know, super memorable beyond just week four of 2021. Apparently, Belichick did go to talk to Brady in the locker right. room after the game. I don't think he's the type to do that kind of stuff out in the public. So just to clear that up, um, to me, I mean, the game it wasn't. I don't think it was a great game. I mean, very low scoring. Uh, I think Belichick honestly deserves a lot of credit for holding that offense to 19 points. Brady didn't throw for a touchdown. Uh, he won't get the credit, of course, but uh, I, I do think he deserves praise there. Uh, kind of the other thing that stands out to me. And I know some people kind of pick the Patriots as a sleeper team this year. I know, Ian, you were one of them. But I, this Patriots roster is not very good. Um, I mean, they've got a rookie quarterback who's been promising, but they, they do not have a lot of talent on the offensive side of the ball. And this is not the same defense that we've seen in the last few years. And I'm sure you guys probably saw uh, they just traded Stephon Gilmore, who's been a staple on that defense for many years. So, I you know, I don't think Belichick – is a can work miracles here. I think the fact that he was able to play the game as close as they did uh, against Tampa, he does deserve credit for that. But for the people who think, Oh, it's Belichick, like they'll figure out a way to win 11, 12 games. I mean, this is just not the same type of roster. And I think you could also make an argument that Brady got out at the perfect time. Like some people think, Oh, he, he left because he wanted to prove he could do it on his own. But the reality is he may have seen the writing on the wall that it was a declining roster and he didn't really have a good chance to win. And so maybe he was kind of smart in that regard, getting out early, having his pick of, you know, a, a young, talented team with a good defense to go to. And now he looks really good because of that. Yeah. And, uh, 
and I'll say I, I was pleasantly surprised at the game itself because what you know, my, my thoughts were that the pregame would be a big deal, but that the game itself would, would just be a slaughter. Um, that that, that the, the Patriots wouldn't stand a chance given how good the Bucks are this season, but it's not really what happened. Um, Ian, you mentioned that you were a little underwhelmed by the pregame ceremonies. Um, it seemed like there was a lot of fanfare around um, NBC's pregame broadcast with Rodney Harrison in there, but you're right, I didn't see any tribute videos or anything like that. There's also the fact that Gronk didn't even make the trip, and granted it was mostly going to be about Brady, but I think Gronk would have added fuel to the fire. But the game itself, um, it was right down to the wire, and I didn't expect that at all. Um, I mean, you look at how the Patriots have started out the season. Adam, you said it yourself. They don't look all that good. You could have one of the best coaches in the league, but if the roster isn't good, not much you can do. So I expected a Buccaneers blowout, and... They ended up giving Brady a hell of a fight. He, he really had to earn this one, and I think it was important for Brady to, to win this one, um, given it was his former team and given the you know, somewhat falling out between him and Belichick. I, I don't think it's nearly as big as the media made it out to be, um, as evidenced by their, uh, their post-game meetup that happened. Um, and I, I do think it was an important stepping stone for Brady, and, and good on the Pats for, for making him work for it. Um, uh, I will note that ESPN, they, they were very deceptive. For anybody who didn't watch the game, um, they put out an image after the fact making it look like a, a really warm embrace between Brady and Belichick after the game. It was anything but. Um, it, it was probably a split second, and, and I, the camera must have captured that split second, and then then they, they moved on. Um, so I, I feel like that was uh, some bad faking on, on ESPN's part. But I also feel like it's just so over like maybe it's because we're not Patriots fans and we generally dislike the Patriots but does it really matter like how great their relationship is anymore like it's just no it, I don't know <laughs> it, it's like drama that doesn't mean anything they're on different teams I don't know I guess that's just what people like to to hear about and and watch and all that but it's it seems a little overdone in my opinion yeah, and I think that's why ESPN decided to to, to, to post that pick because they they're, they're into it, even though most of the fan base isn't. Um, now with, with that um, week week four, that wasn't the only game that happened week four. You still had a full slate of games, um, and I'll start with Adam here. What what was your biggest takeaway outside of this game from uh, from week four? Well, I gotta be honest, I was on a plane for all of the one o'clock games, and I. Did not see much of the afternoon game. So pretty much going all based off of the highlights. Um, I mean, I guess I'll I guess I'll keep it local. I'm pretty stunned that the Jets uh, found a way to beat the Titans. I know that they were missing their top two wideouts in A.J. Brown and Julio Jones, but the Jets, based on the way the first three games of the season had gone, um, you know, didn't really give you much reason for optimism. But Zach Wilson looked really good. Um you know, so it was great to see that. They also had J- got James Crowder back, and he made an immediate impact. So, look, it wasn't a, it wasn't a pretty game. They needed a missed field goal in overtime to actually win the game. But Tennessee's a good team. They're gonna they're gonna make the playoffs. And um, for the Jets, I think it's um, you know you get a little bit of hope. You know, they they play Atlanta next week in London, and that's a very winnable game. So, if you're two and three, I mean, anything could happen from there. So for me. I'm very happy that the Jets are are on the board. That um, you know maybe this won't be a uh, tank for the number one pick season, which we've had way too many of. But uh, 
also trying to temper my expectations a little bit. Yeah, nicely done by the Jets, no doubt, who I, I clearly was wrong picking against them. Um, Ian, how about yourself? I know you guys had another big win, um, but what, what else stood out to you? Yeah, I don't want to discount the Giants also winning in overtime. Uh, it was a, for the first good weekend in, in football for New York, or I should say New York, New Jersey. I know the Bills fans don't like when they are forgotten about, but um, that was that was definitely a surprise. But I think to me, at a you know from a bigger picture and in a sense more important situation or, or kind of looking after week four, there's one undefeated team left in football, Arizona Cardinals. <laughs> I think Mike Mandel uh, probably you, you've been a fan of that team and Kyler Murray, but um, you know we all did pick the the Rams and and just to see the Rams get embarrassed, lose by 17 at home to the Cardinals. Um, you know I think they're the Cardinals. We all thought they had a strong offense, but their defense has played really well, and it's it's a tough division, and they've just uh, so far been been at the top of it. So. I think to me that's that's really what stands out. I think they, you know, it, it's going to be tough for them to maintain this pace, in my opinion, just because it is they're going to be, you know, facing those interdivision rivals um, a lot, obviously. Um, so it, it's, but it's. I think it's really. I like it. I mean, Kyler seems like a cool guy, and he's really fun to watch. And um, you know, the Cardinals are a, a team that isn't a perennial favorite, or you know, the expectations were relatively low this year. So I think. Um, it's just been great to see the the other teams they beat in Tennessee, Minnesota, and Jacksonville aren't you know the the top of the heap, but that win in LA against a really good Rams team stood out to me last Sunday. Yeah, and you, you read my mind, Ian, because I, I was going to talk the Cardinals. They uh, they are now the team to beat, um, certainly in the NFC and, and possibly in all of football. Um, you, you talked about the Rams game. The, the Rams were already solid last season. We thought they were. Even better this season with the uh, with the Stafford trade, um, that they might have been the team to beat. And now the Cardinals not only do they top them, they top them in LA and by a pretty wide margin. Um, so I think that that that's pretty remarkable given that you know, how how tough the NFC West is. I don't think most people pick the Cardinals. Um, but I'll also I'll talk briefly about the Panthers. Um, yes, they were. Handed their first loss um, on Sunday to the uh, the Cowboys. They they played them tight, but they ultimately couldn't win it in Dallas. Um, but one thing that's notable is I, I don't think the Panthers expected coming into the season to to be a win now team. I, I don't think that even their fans expected them to be contenders. And out of Week Four, they've made a trade with the Patriots. They're getting cornerback uh, Stephon Gilmore. Um, they're basically saying, okay, you know what, we, we could be something this year. Um, seems like they're they're gunning for it. And the um, the NFC South, you know, it's it's somewhat open. They're going to have to contend with the uh, with the Bucks to to fight for the uh, the title. But it looks like the Saints probably won't be contending. So um, I think that'll be a fun uh, that'll be a fun rivalry to watch for the uh, the remainder of the season. So moving on to our picks. Um, yeah. Hey, Mike, one, one other just quick storyline I, I wanted to mention, which um, I know has made some additional news today, um, and that's the Jacksonville Jaguars and Urban Meyer. I, I find this so fascinating. You know, here's a guy who is arguably one of the best college football coaches ever. I mean, any team he goes to turns into an instant title contender. Very well-respected um, 
you know, championship teams with Florida and Ohio State. And he comes to the Jacksonville Jaguars, who, who were a dumpster fire organization, but they had the number one pick in Trevor Lawrence. And just four games into his NFL tenure, um, you know, he's already, uh, you know, mired in controversy with the, you know, not taking the plane ride home and then being caught on video with who knows doing what with, with, uh, you know, girl, um, you know, college girls or whoever it may be. Um, but I think what's most concerning is you're reading these reports about the lack of respect that he has in the locker room. And I just think that's so fascinating to have one of the most respected guys in college football come to the NFL and he's basically a laughing stop. None of his players respect him. And I think it makes me question whether or not college coaches, I think you could, you could argue uh, football or college basketball will, will think twice about joining the professional ranks. I mean, we saw Nick Saban try it with the dolphins. Didn't have a lot of success. Now we're seeing with urban Meyer, but you just wonder if it's really worth the risk to leave a cushy, stable, high-paying job in college for the challenges of the NFL or the NBA where you might get a little bit of a pay raise, but let's be honest, most of these coaches are hired to get fired and they don't last more than five years or so. Whereas in college, you know, Urban or Urban Meyer or Nick Saban or Dabo Sweeney can stay as long as they want forever. Um, So I just thought that was kind of an interesting dynamic. Yeah, you're not going to get an argument from the Eagles fan here. We had Chip Kelly, you know, the uh, the champion, the former champion of Oregon, who uh, who comes into Philly and, and uh, drops a deuce. So, and then, and then he goes to San Fran. He's out after one season. So he's got no argument for me there. And with that, we will go into our picks. I feel like we need a bit of a rebound this week. Um, last week was pretty rough for us. I was 0 for Blood 6. <laughs> And we're, uh, yeah, and I think I was 0 for 5 the week before, so it's uh, it's been a rough go. Yeah, although you, you caught up a little bit. You, you were you were 3 and 3 this past week. You did the best, so you, you, you've now caught up a little. Uh, we all are under 500 nonetheless, so we'll uh, we'll look to correct that. Um, coming into week 5, um, I don't think Mike has given his picks yet, but um, we will start with the. Um, the Jets at the Falcons in London, and Adam, as a resident Jets fan, obviously go to you first. Okay, well, I think I've picked against the Jets most of the weeks this season, and I'll probably come to regret this, but I'm going to take the Jets here. Um, they're being given three points. It's on the road, but really London, so it's it's a neutral site. Uh, the Falcons have been very underwhelming. I, I would have thought that... The offense would have been a lot better than it has been, given some of the playmakers that they have. Uh, but the Falcons, it seems like ever since that crushing defeat in the Super Bowl, just always find ways to lose. So the Jets, maybe a little bit of a uh, rejuvenation. Uh, so I'm going to take the Jets at plus three uh, to cover on uh, in London, rather. All right, Ian. Um, yeah, I mean, this is not a game that I don't think I'll be, you know, not necessarily waking up early for, but it's, I think, 930 Eastern on Sunday. Um, you know, the Falcons, to Adam's point, have been just bad, really, since the Super Bowl. But they also, um, you know, they did beat the Giants, not saying much, in, in New York. Matt Ryan, 
I mean, he looked done a couple weeks ago. He threw for four touchdowns against Washington, which I thought was relatively impressive. Their defense kind of blew it at the end. Um, but uh, it's just tough for me to pick the Jets. So I'll, I'll take the Falcons to win by at least a field goal or more. Oh, and I, I said last week that I'm, uh, I'm going to pick against the Jets until they can prove that they uh, can cover the spread. They did exactly that, not only covering the spread against the Titans, but actually beating them. So I'm going to pick them this time. Um, I'm going to say that with three points in, in, in a, a neutral site, not even in, in Atlanta, that they're going to cover the spread. And we'll get Wiles picks uh, at some point between now and then. Next up, we got Eagles at Panthers. Um, I, I said last week that I may well regret picking the Eagles, but I thought that they would get within seven of the Chiefs, given the uh, the Chiefs' garbage defense. Um, they did not do that. Um, it wasn't a total blowout. I think they lost by like 12 or so. But I've got absolutely no faith in their ability to compete with the Panthers. I, I think a three-and-a-half-point line is actually pretty small here. Um, I think the Eagles are going to win maybe five games this whole season. Um this certainly will not be one of them, and I don't think it's going to be all that close, so I'm, I'm going with the Panthers. Um, Ian, you next. Yeah, I think McCaffrey's still out, right, for at least another few weeks, so that's obviously puts a, a relatively big uh, damper. But the Good point. The Panthers, to your point earlier, Mike, 3-1, and one, playing pretty well. Um you know, I think be, I guess being the Jets, New New Orleans isn't what they used to be, and then Houston. I think it's been uh, up and down for them. So I'm I'm debating here. Maybe I will take the Eagles on the road to keep it close. Um, you know, it seems like sometimes these home favorites off and underperform. So the Eagles have been started the season up and have been down, but maybe they'll uh, maybe they'll pull one out here in Carolina. I hope you're right. I'm taking the Panthers here. Uh, it's funny, after week one, we were all kind of like, hey, maybe the Eagles won't be as bad as we thought, but I think we're starting to see they're, they are the team that we thought they were going to be going into the season. So I'm going to take the Panthers. They're uh, they're playing really well. Sam Darnold is, uh, seems to be turning into the quarterback the Jets thought they were drafting, um, and the defense has been really good. So give me the Panthers minus three and a half. All right, and that'll take us to the Bears Raiders. Our resident Bears fan is not here to give his commentary, so we'll just give picks. Um, I think for me, um, the Bears so far this season, they, they remind me a bit of the 2020 76ers in, in that their home versus road performance is night and day. And given that they're on, a, on the road against a pretty tough team, um, despite the Raiders' loss last week, I think they're still a pretty tough team. Um, I don't see this one being all that close, so I'm going to go with the Raiders. Adam, what are your thoughts here? I think I've picked against the Bears every week this season, or it feels like I have, but five and a half points. Now, I, I'm actually looking at a different spread that says six and a half, but I don't yeah, think it makes a difference to me. I'm going to take the Bears here. Uh, they just announced Justin Fields as the quarterback moving forward, um, which I think helps. I think, um, you know, hopefully it makes him a little bit more comfortable. I saw a great. Uh, press conference he did where his parents wanted to take him out to dinner to celebrate him being named the starter and he was like no I'm good like I'm just going to read the playbook so I like to hear that uh, I'm, I'm not sold on his long term prospects I know when the Jets had a top pick I, I or they had the number two pick I did not want Justin Fields so 
you know, long-term prospects, I'm still not necessarily sold on him, but uh, I'll take the Bears here to bounce back with Fields as the, as the uh, starter moving forward. All right, Ian. I will uh, side with the home team on this one. I think uh, the, the Raiders are one of the more fun teams to watch. Um, they they definitely underperformed a bit uh, against the Chargers, who we haven't talked about the Chargers, but I think they're one of the better teams in the league. Um, so I see them bouncing back and winning by at least uh, two field goals at home uh, against the the Bears. And we'll keep an eye on the lines. I know they've been changing a, a bit lately, but I think for now, here's where we're at. And Ian, we'll stick with you with the uh, the Giants at the Cowboys. Yeah, I mean, I think this game is definitely more interesting than we thought it might be with the Giants pulling out a improbable come-from-behind fourth quarter and overtime walk-off victory um, in New Orleans. I know New Orleans is not is not necessarily a great team, but it's still a very impressive road win for the Giants, their first of the year. Um, this was another game that, I mean, the Cowboys have been by far and away the the class of the division and actually one of the better teams in football, which um, I'm somewhat surprised by. I, I think you guys all picked the Cowboys to win the division, so maybe not as much, but uh, Dak has played well. Zeke overall has played well. The defense um, also has been strong, so everything is telling me that the Cowboys are going to win by more than seven, but yeah, I think I will end up taking the Cowboys. I, I don't know. The Giants, you know, I got it wrong last week as I think we all did, but um, I think the Cowboys can win by at least a touchdown. That said, the line was previously eight and a half, so it's come down a bit, I think. So a lot of people maybe are thinking the Giants can keep this one close as they did in New Orleans this past week. Yeah, and I'll, uh, I'll go to Adam. The Giants are a really tough team to, to pick. I think I've been wrong on them on every week this season. And it's hard for me, given that I did not see any of the game last week. I know they won. They they were down big late in the game, and they came back. So I don't really know how they looked for the majority of the game. Uh, that being said, my, my gut is telling me that they just don't have the firepower to keep up with Dallas. Um, they, they really seem to be clicking now, and I just don't know that the Giants can – keep up with them you know historically speaking they've always played dallas pretty tough but uh not so sure if that's the case in the daniel jones era so give me the cowboys minus seven did you know daniel jones won the nfc player of the week i believe i did see that yeah he was the only guy to throw for over 400 yards pretty surprising but yeah good for him well this was the toughest game for me to pick but i think it's going to be the first and maybe only game where at least all three of us on the call are going to be aligned. We'll see what Mike comes up with, but um, the, the Cowboys look like the clear dominant team in the NFC East. Um, I'll give the Giants a lot of credit. Um, after their first game against the Broncos, they've not been bad. Either their two losses were pretty close, and beating the Saints. Mm, was... I don't know. I disagree. That Falcons game, which I was at, was was a really bad one. And the Washington loss on that that offsides call and the field goal at the buzzer. Excruciating losses, not maybe embarrassing losses. Yeah, fair, fair enough. They've they've kept it close, as painful as it's been. Sure, um, I'll say that. Um, but I do think that the Cowboys are in a different league from the other three teams in the NFC East. So I'm going to have to in Dallas. I'm going to have to go with them to win by at least seven. And that brings us to the game of the week. 
The uh, Bills at the Chiefs, if I'm not mistaken, it is a rematch of last season's AFC Championship. Yep. Um, Adam, you want to kick this one off? Yeah, yeah. this is going to be a great game um, and very well could be another rematch of the AFC uh, Championship game. Uh, is this uh, is this the Monday Night Football game or Sunday, Sunday night? night? Okay. Sunday. By the way, it seems like every Sunday Night Football game is like unbelievably close. I mean, they've they've been like 100 percent at every game this year, um, as far as like entertaining, entertainment value. Um, this is the kind of game where a slight movement in the line could influence my pick here. Um, so I, I am seeing three and a half on on. Uh, on the Yahoo app that I am using. Um, I, have, I know we have it at three here. For some reason, uh, my gut is telling me to take Buffalo with the points. Don't know for sure that they'll win the game, but I think three, three and a half would be enough to entice me where um, they might have a shot here. It is on the road, so I don't love that, but um, I, sometimes you just got to go with your gut. So I'm going to take Buffalo here, but let's keep an eye out on that spread because three, three and a half could be a... Big difference maker there. All right. And, uh, Ian, I'll go to you next. I'll reserve my thoughts for last. Yeah, the the Chiefs have been interesting this year. Um, you know, I think most people thought they'd really dominate. Only 2-2 two and two currently had a, had a good win at Philly this past week. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think at home Sunday night, I'll, I'll take the home team um, to win by more than a field goal. I think Mahomes is still kind of the class of the league, and this is a good primetime opportunity for him to to show America again, uh, you know, why he's he is who he is. So we'll see if I'm proven wrong here, but to me this was actually an easy pick. Um, I, I think the, the Chiefs have shown that their defense is still very susceptible this season. Um, even with their win against the Eagles, I still think that they've underwhelmed to start the season out, whereas the Bills... Um, especially after the first game, have been flat-out dominant. I mean, their defense has, has been stellar, probably the best in the league right now. Um, their offense is one of the best in the league, whereas the Chiefs, they're still a very one-sided team. It's all offense for them, and given how strong Buffalo's defense has been, um, for me, it's an easy decision. I think they're going to win this game, and I'll certainly take them as the underdog. And with that... And hopefully a better week for us this week than last week, standings-wise. We'll uh, we'll move to final thoughts. Ian, we'll uh, start with you. So with baseball season over uh, and football season, I guess, kind of, uh, <laughs> I don't want to say over, but it's probably going to be a pretty long year. Uh, my attention is starting to, to turn towards uh, both basketball and hockey, which are, are starting in the next couple of weeks, believe it or not, with a little bit of prolonged season. Uh, you know, due to COVID this past year and uh, back to hopefully normal, at least they're starting out normal. Um, you know, some pretty high hopes for me as a, as a Knicks fan. And I think for the Rangers, they should be intriguing uh, given a new coach and, and other changes, but uh, just excited to see what happens there. And I think more broadly on the, the NBA, which we haven't talked about yet, and maybe we will in, in coming weeks is just, uh, you know, things like Kyrie Irving, uh, vaccine mandates and fines and all that, which is turning into potentially a very big issue and a, and a showdown between player and team and, in a sense, government as well. So lots of interesting storylines to keep an eye on. And, uh, 
I think it's it's going to be an exciting month of baseball playoffs and obviously football and then two of the other big four leagues returning pretty soon. Yeah, and for me, someone I could actually root for. Adam, I'll, uh, I'll go to you. The Mets have decided that they will not be bringing back their manager, Luis Rojas. So the Mets will have their fifth manager since 2017. And then once they hire a new general manager, I believe they will have uh, – four GMs in since 2018. And the thing with any sports organization is it all starts with management. And it is very hard to have sustained success if you constantly have uh, turnover in the front office. And I really hope that whoever they bring in, that there's a long-term plan here. Because you look at you know having three GMs basically in the last year, it's very hard to construct a roster when you've got so many different philosophies and there's no consistency so that's why i hate when people want to fire a manager or coach after one or two years it's like when you hire the guy this should be the guy who you believe in his philosophy and that you're willing to ride out to ride with for the next five plus years whether you you know have a a rough season up front or not um and honestly the organization that the mets should be uh, modeling themselves after is the New York Islanders who you know underachieved for many years they go out and they hire a Hall of Fame GM and a future uh, Hall of Fame head coach and Barry Trotz and they've you know are now perennial cup contenders and one of the most consistent teams in the league so I hope that the Mets will follow that blueprint uh, who the new president of baseball operations is I don't know uh, it's not going to be Theo Epstein but uh, something to monitor in the weeks to come. All right, good. So the uh, the NB Players Association, they have uh, announced late this afternoon that they are going to continue a new policy from 2020 in that, uh, the 2020 restart in that players will no longer be subject to random marijuana testing this season. Uh, that is a very good move. Um, I, I talked about all the positives that could come out of the uh, the pandemic, and this is one of them. Marijuana has absolutely nothing to do whatsoever with a player's performance. If any of them is stupid enough to get high right before the game, they're going to be benched anyway. So I, I applaud this move by uh, by the NBA, and hopefully we see this reverberate around the other sports. And uh, with that, we are going to call it a night at the Sports Cafe. From Ian Gus, Adam Rosen, Mike Mandel, we will see you hopefully next week, but definitely soon. Peace out, guys.